This is a Raven Slayer production. Raven Slayer, creating a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Welcome. You're listening to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening an adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of the movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle, free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful, sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week, the focus of the show will be on different sexual topics designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is the sex education that you did not receive in high school, but should have. I am Lady Boy Gigi. I'm a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. I am here to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. You are listening to Adult Bedtime Stories, and tonight we're doing a show about sexual attraction and polyamory. We're going to go all over the place tonight, and I have a guest, Samuel, and he is going to talk about some of his experiences and what he likes as far as who he's attracted to, what turns him on. So Samuel, we were talking a little bit right before we started recording, and you identify as? Uh, gender fluid, and my sexuality is pansexual. Oh, okay. And describe what pansexual means to you. Pansexual means to me meaning liking all or any on the basis of gender slash sex. This does not include you know, physical appearances and such. It's just purely on the basis of, I don't care what somebody's gender slash sex sex is. I don't care what genitals you have. I don't care how you identify as. I would be attracted to you regardless as long as there's some sort of chemistry between us. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of different definitions about pansexuality. And, you know, some people look at it define it as you have, and then I've heard other definitions where if you're bisexual, you're attracted to the whole spectrum of genders. Mm -hmm. It's bi plus community. And if you're polyamorous, you're attracted to a little bit more. You have sex with nature, you have sex with trees and the wind and the beach and the surf and <laughs> I think that's ecosexual. <laughs> I believe that's ecosexual that, or omni. That's another name for it. But I mean, if you're exclusively 
attracted to sex with nature. But there's some people that it's the whole spectrum. They're sexual with everything. Oh, and that's where the, they identify as being pansexual. <laughs> I think it's because we're going to be talking about a lot of things, so you're yeah. fine. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what attracts you to a person. I hate to say it, but it's their looks or the... I don't want to say aura because I don't know if auras exist or not. I'm kind of, I'm just like, I'm kind of on the middle of when it comes to spirituality and religion. So I'll be saying like, Maybe I don't. Maybe their energy. Yeah, their <laughs> energy. So I have a very specific preference when it comes to looks. I, I know I'm an extremely shallow person. I'm sorry. Oh, um, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm very attracted to certain looks too. But I just love people who are alt. People who um, are part of the skater scene, indie scene, the goth community, emo community scene, skater punk. Any of those people who have some sort of alternative look to them, I am just instantly infatuated with them. Not like obsessed, but I, can, I will definitely say that I, I'm... I'm just so enamored with their looks. Yeah. How beautiful they are, how handsome, And it gorgeous. sounds kind of like, because sometimes, in the, especially with goth and some of the more artistic communities, their looks are really well put together artistically. It's not just putting on makeup. It's not just getting into clothes it's they take a lot of time and effort to create their look and that can be very sexy and awesome <laughs> yeah because it's not like i'm not attracted to somebody who isn't alt but if i had to list a very specific preference i will always say that i go for somebody who's alt somebody who is covered with tattoos stretched ears piercings dyed hair fringed hair i can't tell you how much i love emo boys they're so cute and adorable and i just <laughs> i and just like define what's emo boys well we can't really show pictures on here because it's a yeah. podcast but it, anybody who's from the emo community they self-identify as emo or they're just like naturally part of the emo community they have soft, shaggy hair, or with fringe bangs. They kind of look like me, except, yeah. you know, they have a more chiseled face because they're they're usually cis rather than me, who's assigned female at birth. But, like I said, I'm gender fluid. They wear eyeliner. They have band t-shirts and skinny jeans. They either wear Doc Martens or Converse. They have a bunch of piercings and stretched ears, tattoos. I, uh... Just like growing up with stories and cartoons and animations, I kind of grew up with pornography. It, it's really weird to say, <laughs> but yeah, I grew up with pornography. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. <laughs> and the main porn, pornography I would watch would be Homo Emo or Homo Scene. Anything to do with emo boys. And that's one of the, and it's kind of weird to say also, but that's one of the ways I figured out that, uh, figured out about my gender, too. So, it, it was an interesting time. 
And, you know, I've done shows on After Hours in the past on gender identity and genders and even sex, your sex, is such a complex thing. It's not just binary, male or female. There's a whole spectrum out there. And I think you definitely fit the spectrum and don't fit well on either end of it, the male or the female. You tend to have this presence about you. When I first met you, believe it or not, I thought you were a man trans transitioning to be a woman, <laughs> believe it or not. I actually get and, that a lot. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. it makes me happy regardless. Well, you, you fe I felt a lot of masculine energy off you, and I think that's where the that misperception came in, was I thought, wow, okay, hot, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but I've always kind of been attracted to androgynous people, people where you kind of look at them and go, I'm not sure, but I like it. <laughs> but we talked a little bit, also, we were thinking about talking on the whole polyamorous thing. And you have kind of an interesting story about polyamory. That you tried it, and things weren't so great, but you're still with it. It's, it's a complicated thing. Like, I can summarize it, but it's actually really trigger warning what happened to me do you mind if i talk about it no, or that'd do you be wanna... fine that'd be great are you are you gonna be okay if i talk i'm gonna be okay okay <laughs> it's actually i still questioned whether it was my fault what happened or not honestly and i go to therapy for it so here's what happened and i'm gonna try and summarize it as short as possible growing up I was extremely jealous and possessive, and I still am a jealous and possessive person, not to where it's abusive or bad in the relationship, but that's why I thought I was a monogamous person all this time. And so I think during the end of my high school years, I figured out I actually might be poly because I liked so many people at once. And I kept thinking to myself, why can't I be with more than one person? But then I would feel bad because then they would tell me, if you're allowed to be with more than one person, why can't I be with people? Because mm -hmm. I didn't want that type of poly relationship yeah. where everybody was with anybody. Yeah. I kind of wanted a small knit family. And I didn't realize at the time that there was multiple versions of poly. Yeah. So that's what made me think I was monogamous because I want just just Sounds my like partners and me together. Something like polyfidelity, mm -hmm. which is where a group of people are committed to each other and they sleep within the group but not outside the group. Yeah, because I know I wasn't a swinger or a polygamist because mm -hmm. I can't have meaningless sex at yeah. any time I've ever had sex I, I either loved that person or I liked them as like a friend or I can I cared about them deeply I can't yeah. have meaningless sex I have to have some sort of emotion to it or I know I can't have meaningless sex 
because uh, if I have sex with that person and it's meaningless on their side, I know I will get hurt mm-hmm. because because I grow attached to that person. Yeah. And kind of identify with growing up and not knowing, trying to fit the role of being monogamous. I was monogamous. It lasted through two girlfriends and a boyfriend. And after that, I said, I can't do this anymore. But I realized, you know, I'm attracted to both men and women equally. And I love the masculine energy. I love the feminine energy. And I realized that, you know, one person's not going to fit that bill. One person can't fulfill all my needs. But I knew I wasn't just free for all. Fuck anything that moves. (laughs) I do have taste and I have... You know, I think like you, I like that connection with the person and that the relationship be meaningful in some way. Now, later on, I got into some other relationship styles that were totally devoid of any meaning except just getting together and having good sex. And those were fun and part of my exploration, but, you know, I think I've always kind of drifted back to that You know, if I'm going to have sex with somebody, there's got to be something special about it and about that person. So I can totally identify with that. I, so getting back to when I found out I was poly, like I said, it was at the end of high school. I kind of realized it. I realized I was poly with, when I was in an emotionally abusive relationship with my ex-girlfriend. What and happened? When, when we, the first year we were together, it wasn't, that was, you know, when she wasn't abusive and we were getting to know each other. Yeah. And we were soft, sophomores in high school. There is this one uh, emo boy that liked to tease us and get in a threesome hug when I was hugging her. Mm-hmm. And I felt so embarrassed because it turned me on and I kept thinking to myself, oh no, she's not going to like that I'm interested in this other guy. Yeah. Because I kind of get the feeling that she was interested in him too, but we weren't going to pursue it because that guy was a player. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know, you know, if he was going to be faithful to us or not. Mm -hmm. And so that died down after a while. And then, you know, her abusive side started showing. And so we were in and out of the relationship for years. What did she do that was uh, abusive? She constantly said that there was something wrong with me. She never physically hurt me. Yeah. It was all words. It was all manipulation. And I'd like to clarify that because sometimes we use the abusive and the word abusive and for one person it could be physical abuse for another emotional abuse and for another it could be psychological abuse and all three of those are very different types of abuse i think it was a mix of emotional and psychological because what ended up happening was she would dump me for somebody else and then she would either regret dumping me and try to go back to me 
or the relationship would end badly and she would come back to me. Yeah. And and then when the relationship would end between me and her, she would tell me I was this horrible person that I was terrible. I didn't I was I was ugly and disgusting and um, that and a bunch of others <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff that yeah. I don't is going to trigger me if I try Oh, we don't want to trigger you. <laughs> Cuz it was just that bad. And then I found out she was cheating on me. Mm-hmm. Even though I t- at, even though at some point we tried to be poly together. Yeah. And so the I haven't been with her in almost a year, two years now. So I'm actually proud of myself that I stopped going back to her. And well, then I found somebody better. It takes a better. lot of courage and a lot of strength, and you do have a lot of inner strength. Yeah, so I finally found the courage to finally bre- break away from her. But during one of the, I think it was, yeah, I think, I believe it was either the 11th grade or 12th grade, I finally said, I'm Polly. Mm-hmm. There's no way to get around it. I am Polly. I'm just a specific type of Polly. And there are different types of, I mean, polyamory is a big umbrella. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've known in, in just from my learning experience, going to bisexual events and to bisexual conventions and gatherings and through the pagan community, going to pagan festivals and BDSM festivals and conferences. I've done a lot of workshops. And one of the workshops I did early on was on relationship models. And it really clarified for me that, in my mind, that, okay, I don't have to be full poly swinger type polygamist polygamist (laughs) to be polyamorous. There is such things as polyfidelity. And I met a Actually, it's a three-way partnership with two guys and a woman. And the woman had given birth to children from each of the husbands. And they had been, the guys had been together for over 25 years. And she came into the relationship 15 years earlier. And when they decided to become a triad. And they've been happily polyfidelitous ever since. <laughs> and I thought, oh wow, that's. And that was before there's a lot, you know, a lot of these definitions, and they just kind of came up with this on their own. They said, well, we like each other, we like her, she likes both of us, and so they decided to become faithful in a three-way marriage. And I thought that's pretty awesome that. Someone can come up with this. And this was back in the 80s. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, that I met this triad. So it's amazing some of the relationship models that evolved before we had the definitions and the words for it. And even they, they said, well, we're married. We've got an unconventional marriage is what they called it. And they all lived together. And sometimes, and their children would bring their friends over, and her children said, yeah, I have two daddies and a mommy. (laughs) And I perked up ears and 
caught people's attention at school back in those days. I mean, to say... I think it still does. It still does, but back then it really sent up the red flags. (laughs) So they had to educate their kids and say, well, you don't want to announce this too much, too far around. You can tell your trusted friends, but don't just tell everybody. (laughs) I feel that's sad. Yeah. I'm not saying shout it off the top of the rooftops. No. But I think you should be able to be honest with what's going on well, with I something mean, the, that innocent. The it is monosexuals innocent. can and heterosexuals can flaunt their mono heterosexuality out in public all they want and they don't pay any price for it. Mm-hmm. You know. But if somebody in an alternative type relationship flaunts their love for each other in public, and I'm not saying sexually, but you know, just holding hands or, you know, kissing can really raise eyebrows sometimes. And it shouldn't. You're right. And I remember one time it was for an early Celebrate Bisexuality Day celebration. I had my boyfriend and my girlfriend come with me, and on the corner of Montrose and Westheimer, we did a three-way kiss. And I mean, a deep-throat French kissing three-way. <laughs> and there's no doubt in anybody's mind that, okay, this is very unconventional and different. And they are definitely not straight or gay. How'd it go that day? Did oh, you get a lot of... awesome. We got a lot of... Hum- people honking horns. In praise or in negativity? A little bit of both. But I think what it was was that, you know, we had decided that bisexuality is so invisible in our culture. When people see a couple, they think either gay or straight, depending on the perceived gender. And we wanted to kind of break that illusion just for a day. So it's our kind of experiment and social change (laughs) and social exhibitionism exhibiting something that's a little out there (laughs) we had talked a little bit on the show i mean before the show about some of the things that you were attracted to about polyamory can you go into some detail about what polyamory means to you and why you treasure it? To me, polyamory means being able to care slash love more than one person. Mm-hmm. I know that that's not the exact definition because sometimes, no. sometimes like the dictionary.com or Webster will say it's physical or having multiple partners. But for me specifically, I just have the ability to fall in love with more than one person at once. Mm-hmm. And then it's up to me whether or not I want to pursue an actual poly relationship or how I want to handle it after that. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of exploring and enjoyment when you can be intimate with more than one person, even at the same time. I mean, some of my most treasured experiences sexually have been with a boyfriend and a girlfriend all at once. And that can be so amazing. 
I I haven't had that yet, but yeah, maybe I will in the future. Maybe I won't. Either way, and it's something that if it happens, it's it's your experience, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you'll see where it takes you. We had talked a little bit about polyamory, and I'd like to kind of get a little deeper into the meaning of it for you. I mean, I know there's a lot of resistance in mainstream society to it. What is it about polyamory that makes you want to stand up for it? The fact that it doesn't hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. The only thing that hurts somebody is if they use polyamory as an excuse to be unfaithful, which I hate so much. Or if somebody in the polyamory or polygamous community decides to be an elitist saying, huh, you're monogamous, that's for suckers. Marriage Mm -hmm. is for suckers. (laughs) Something like that. That's kind of why I was turned away from poly and polygamy Mm -hmm. at first. Even though I'm not polygamous, I'm just putting them Mm -hmm. together right now was because of the attitudes of a lot of people that I met. And believe it or not, I highly respect people that are into monogamy. I respect their marriage. I respect their what they've chosen as a lifestyle. What I am against is when our social conditioning says monogamy is the only route. Exactly. That you can't have any other options. That this is the only correct option. Exactly. That's that's why I'm saying, like, before I realized I was poly, all I was exposed to ever was negativity from poly slash polygamy people saying, I can't believe you guys are suckers into monogamy. Monogamy's for losers. Oh, it's not going to last. You just, you're just going to find somebody else. Poly, polygamy is the only way. And, or, I can't believe you you're, you want to be monogamous. Why don't you just try out other people? Don't you get tired of the same person over and over again? It was just awful. Like Some of these people giving the poly polygamy community such bad rep yeah. for saying such elitist things. And believe it or not, I've been with my wife for over 25 years. And I've been with a boyfriend for... Oh, since I was very young, we met when I was about 19 or 20. So we've been together a long time. <laughs> and we don't see each other very often, but when he comes into town, it's party time. <laughs> I mean, we rattle the bushes, <laughs> so to speak. And it's really an awesome relationship. I mean, it's evolved over time. At first, we were very attracted to each other, and we had sex a lot, but we didn't have that deep relationship that kind of came about over time. And it was through time and being together off and on that it was kind of interesting because, you know, at first I didn't even acknowledge him as a boyfriend. Because he was kind of bohemian, he traveled all over the place, never stayed any place for too long. But when he came to Houston, we got it on and we loved each other and it was amazing. And then he'd be gone for six months or a year. And then he'd come back and we'd be together for a while and this would be on and off. And that's how it's the nature of that relationship has been for over... 30, 
40 years now. It's been an amazing experience. And I can't say I'm married to him. He's kind of a type of boyfriend, but not your typical, you meet someone and you're a partner. We're not, definitely not partners in the sense of being together, you know, living together or being together on a regular basis. We just get together when he's here. And so it's kind of a interesting time dynamic that enters into the relationship. And another reason I was kind of scared of identifying as Polly or, you know, I saw Polly in a... Not in... I don't want to say I was ever against Polly. I don't think I ever was against it. It was more I was weary of it. Yeah. Another reason why I was weary of it is because every time I heard... A couple becoming poly, it was under terrible pretenses where, oh, it turned out one of the partners had been cheating, and then the other partner was like, oh, well, I'm cool with it as long as I get to sleep with whoever, and then they became closer as a couple. And that to me still felt terrible for, because even though the other person consented to staying in the relationship, I don't think that's how it should be you shouldn't just go off and go cheat and then talk about it you should talk about it first yeah and that's one of the reasons when i got with my present female partner we sat down early on in the relationship when we first started dating and we came up with a polyamory commitment with each other we kind of spelled out all the details of how we want to define the relationship and who we can sleep with, who we can't, what we have to do, and kind of ironed out the ground rules and put it together and figured out what works for both of us. And then we agreed to it. And, it, you know, it's evolved over time. It loosened up a lot as we went along. But it was through sitting down and having those discussions and communicating and saying, well, I'm now running a sacred sex temple. It's not always feasible for me to call you first. I don't even get a signal out there. And, well, actually, that was before cell towers and cell phones were so widespread. And so she said, well, you know, just tell me about it afterwards. I trust your judgment. And so we opened the door to changes in the poly commitment, but it was through discussion and through communicating and saying, well, what works practically, what doesn't, because sometimes what looks good on paper doesn't work in real life. Yep. And so you have to kind of be a little flexible as you go. But the big thing was I never cheated on her. <laughs> I never snuck around. I was always open and honest, and she with me. Yeah, exactly what I'm talking about. But like I said, I was never exposed to a non-cheating poly. Like, when I say non-cheating poly, I mean a relationship that was monogamous, and then they cheated, and that, that's how they became all poly. I was never exposed to just a genuine poly relationship until mm. later. Yeah, and that's... You know, that's part of the problem in our culture because polyamory's had to kind of 
develop in this shadow of, you know, underground that hadn't been really widespread, except fortunately with the internet, we've been able to communicate and share stories and be able to define it better as a culture and as a cultural experience. But it's still kind of underground, if you know what I mean. I do. And even though I understand, it's kind of like with being gay, lesbian, uh, any other sexuality and where they had to hide it by getting married and to the somebody who they cared about but they weren't sexually attracted to. I get it. I get that so many people had to hide who they truly were or they didn't realize who they were till it was too late. I get that. Mm-hmm. But I still don't find it as an excuse to go and be dishonest and go and do one of the not the worst thing one of the worst things you could do is like abuse somebody mm-hmm. but like still go and cheat go and be non don't protect yourself or your partner by like just sleeping around and not getting std checks and then possibly spreading it to your wife or your husband and i'm glad you brought that up i mean part of our polyamory commitment was that we sleep with other people we use full protection yeah <laughs> condoms and other barriers dental dams everything to ensure that we don't bring something unwanted home that's a, that's exactly what i'm talking about they're just try your best to be honest if you really feel like you can't be honest with that person i would highly recommend either going to therapy together as a couple finding the right time to talk to them even if you don't want to or just getting a straight-up divorce never never resort to cheating there's always a way especially nowadays it's not like it was back then where there wasn't the internet where there wasn't enough people being able to connect to each other to figure out what's going on with themselves there are support groups for poly for lgbt Mm -hmm. plus And you can even find your own kind in bars and clubs and stuff. And you don't have to sleep with that person in order to connect with them. You could just talk. Yeah. Then there's also organizations like Binet USA and Mm -hmm. PFLAG and just all kinds of groups. Montrose Counseling Center. All kinds of organizations that can provide a lot of information about how to structure alternative relationship and it may not even be poly it might be something totally different yeah i've heard of monogamous couples not living together because it didn't work out living in the same house but they do fine living separately and they're completely monogamous i would consider that an alternative relationship even though it's monogamous yeah and um you know especially in the gay community there's wide range everything from totally anonymous sex especially at the bathhouses or the some of the other hookup places or there's meeting someone and having a fuck buddy or friends with benefits where you don't want the emotional attachment you just want to get together and have hot wild sex (laughs) and that that can be super hot and super what just what you need at this point in your life. I know I went through a time, a period when emotionally I wasn't really ready to be in a very deep 
relationship. All I needed was the sex. And so that can provide amazing things for a person if you're in that headspace and that's what your needs are. And always remember to be honest with the other party and mm-hmm. always be safe and use protection and get oh, tested. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I've been fortunate. I went back in the 70s. I was having sex unprotected. And I, how I didn't get AIDS, I don't know. Or any STDs. But I just got very lucky. I Same here. I'm and, lucky, too. Yeah. But I think that ever since the 80s, I've been very committed to the safer sex guidelines and i practice very safe sex when i play and i play with a fair number of people i mean after all i run a sacred sex temple i don't actually have much sex in doing temple which is kind of odd you'd think i would be what i'm doing is facilitating everybody else having sex (laughs) (laughs) which can be a very different dynamic but i'm into the sex energy and it's amazing to be kind of working with that energy and bringing people together and connecting things and kind of opening the door for that sexual freedom you like watching (laughs) well actually i don't do that much watching really uh not while i'm running temple okay because part of my job running temple i'm i'm there to ensure that everybody has a safe environment, that no means no, that the energy's good. Oh, okay. And, I, you know, I'm keeping an eye out for the, the guy kind of, or woman kind of off to the side gawking and kind of disrupting the energy flow. And I'll step in and say, can I talk to you outside for a minute? I said, there's a better way. Why don't you add to the energy, not just vampire the energy? as a gawker and so i'm kind of on patrol so to speak and so you have a whole different perspective when you're running a sacred sex space it's very different (laughs) and i think somebody's falling asleep back there did you have anything you wanted to contribute i mean this um, is paul he's part of the show too Uh, there had been a few things I think that one of the problems that you run into in polyamory is that a lot of people, I I think that your experience with polyamory is not unheard of. I can't imagine what it would be like, like going to a high school where anyone other than me knew what polyamory was. Like when I was going to high school, I was... I was polyamorous, and everyone else thought I was insane for being polyamorous, and no one had ever heard of it at all. Um, But my experience is I feel like a, a good majority of the people practicing polyamory right now practice it badly. I think that people aren't good at the kind of communication you have to be good at in order to to do polyamory well um i feel like i got a lot out of like i discovered polyamory because i discovered like web boards that were people having problems and then like coming to these web boards looking for advice so for the first 10 years that i was 
Well, no, not ten. But the first, like, four or five years that I was polyamorous, my entire experience with polyamory was reading about problems that people were having in polyamory. And then, and then like, learning about how to counteract those problems and it always came down to more communication Mm -hmm. Uh, when I told my dad that I was polyamorous he had lots of concerns about it but he was very thrown off because every concern he had I was like yeah you're right I just agreed with him Mm -hmm. Uh, I just didn't agree that that meant it wasn't worth doing like yes it is more difficult to be polyamorous than it is monogamous. Yes. Fortunately, I have seen poly relationships that do work very well, but the couples or configurations all involved mm-hmm. have to work at it and communicate. Exactly, yes. And it's it does take extra work to make yeah. it work. But the, the, the thing is, the, the skills that you have to be good in to do polyamory well are skills that make you good in other aspects of having a relationship Mm -hmm. you know the kind of communication that you have to have to have a successful polyamorous relationship are good skills to have in any relationship Mm -hmm. because are more aware of what your, your wants and desires and needs you are more aware of your partner's wants and desires and needs you'll be having conversations with your partners and their partners and through having this conversation you discover something that you didn't know about yourself sometimes you discover new techniques (laughs) oh yeah like one of my favorite things in polyamory is like you know when i have a partner that has other partners talking with them like hey, have you tried X, Y, and Z? It really works for me. You should try that. And then they're like, oh, that's really awesome. Thanks for the tip. Like, why don't you try blah, blah, blah. She really likes it when I do this. I was like, oh, okay. I'll try that next time. It's great. So, yeah, like anything with Polly, like it really comes down to more communication. Talk, talk, talk. Talk until you're tired of talking. And then talk some more. And then realize you're not actually tired of talking. And fall in love again. I actually, um, I told my dad I was Polly, too, when I finally figured out for sure I was. His, uh, he's Christian, by the way. And he's, he's not a bad guy for being Christian, but you know what their core values are. Oh, yeah, my course. father was a minister. <laughs> um, so, so, I know. <laughs> so he was kind of sad and disappointed not necessarily because he was upset with me for being poly it was just more concern really because he told me look i'm not disappointed in you i'm not rejecting you but i'm worried about you because this is going to be a really hard path for you in life and i told him i told him and that's fine because it was hard enough having to reject who i was because I, all my life I've been rejecting my sexuality, my gender, and I was, and when I finally came out with those mm-hmm. things, I still have hardships to deal with when it comes to those things. But I feel better being who I am rather than pretending to be something I'm not. So the True same goes yeah. 
So same goes, it's called relationship dynamic, right? Yeah, yeah. The same goes for my relationship dynamic. Another thing he brought up was how do you know that it's just, it's not just lust? Because, you know, since he's Christian, he grew up with teaching saying, oh, you have to be in a monogamy, a monogamous relationship. It has to be one person, between one person and one person. Otherwise, it's just pure lust. You don't actually love more than one person. You're just lusting after them. And I, I told him, Dad, I'm sure that there are some people who lust after multiple people and don't actually care about those people. But mm-hmm. I know in my heart that I have the ability to love more than one person. This isn't about the mm-hmm. sex. I mean, I like the sex. I love sex. But it's not just about the sex. I genuinely... Well, I care about these people. I want to break in here and say that even married couples lust for each other. Lust isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, it's not. In and fact, if you, if couples didn't have some lust for each other, we wouldn't have as many kids. The other side of the coin that your dad brings up is how many relation, like terrible relationships are there because two... Christians got together when they were really young and horny as shit and all they wanted to do was fuck and they couldn't do that without getting married so they figured the first person that like they're kind of into and that person's kind of into them well I guess we have to get married before we fuck and then they get married and then there's all of these expectations and like Relationship problems. Relationship problems. Sexual compatibility with one another. Yeah. Cheating. A slew of problems. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I've never bought that argument. I, I think that, yeah, the, the other thing is you, you can lust after a lot of people, but you can love a lot of people, too. Like, I had a similar, uh, like polyamory like origin story to yours Samuel where like the reason it finally made sense when I like the first time I read the word polyamory I was like oh my god yes this is what I am there are other people who do this thank god because I had a problem where I really fell for lots of people and it would really fuck me up because I would feel like you know there was a terrible person yeah there was this person that i cared about and i loved it was always unrequited but you know like i thought about them all the time and you know i they meant so much to me and then all of a sudden i'd meet someone else and i'd start to feel the same way about this other person but the feelings about the first person didn't go away and i was like am i broken like like what what is this or maybe maybe that none of this is love maybe none of this is real maybe you know i'm just delusional like what is actually this? one of the things i addressed when i came up at that point in my mm-hmm. life i kind of looked at it as almost mathematically i thought well timing can suck i meet this nice hot woman mm-hmm. fall in love and then a couple of months later, I meet this gorgeous-looking guy and fall in love. And if I'd met him first, then I would have been with him. Mm-hmm. But I met her first. 
Yeah. And the timing just sucked. Mm-hmm. And that can't make me bad for having bad timing. Mm-hmm. Mathematically, it doesn't add up. <laughs> doesn't make sense, or maybe not mathematically, logically, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of looked at, well, what is love and sex? And I kind of thought, maybe we've been defining it wrong all this time. We look at friendships and we can have more than one best friend and more than one mm-hmm. friend. You can have more um, than one set of parents. Yeah. If you don't count, like, blood relations. Yeah. But just with friendship, you can have more than one friend. And, yeah, sometimes jealousy raises its ugly head. If you're spending a lot of time with one friend and kind of neglecting some of your other friends, the other friends are going to get jealous of it, especially if you're really having a great time. And so you need to be a little bit conscious about that and spread the love. Mm-hmm. And spread the... But but I thought maybe love is a deeper type of friendship. Oh, yeah. And instead of looking at it as this boy meets girl falls madly in love. And that's one of the things I discovered early on. In relationships, if I'm not friends with somebody before I have sex with them, it doesn't go very far. And it usually Mm -hmm. crashes and burns. Mm -hmm. But if I become friends before I have sex with them, then amazing, we go amazing places. And so I see sexual relationships as a type of friendship. And because you can have more than one friend, it made a lot more sense. You can have more than one lover. And so I kind of like thinking about it under that model instead of thinking of it as, well, marriage, you know, under the marriage model. I look at it as people do get hurt, you know. You can't force somebody who is wired to be monogamous to be poly. And I don't recommend that anybody ever doing that. You They... If you feel like monogamy shouldn't be forced on you, you shouldn't force Polly on the reverse either. Oh, I I don't want to force monogamy or Polly on anybody. But um, the way I look at it is, aside from that aspect, aside from you accidentally falling for somebody who's monogamous and then, you know, that doesn't work out because you can't force somebody to be Polly or monogamous... Is it really hurting anybody? Is is it between consenting people, consenting adults? And I think that's a key word, consenting. So at the end, of the, when I look at the, look at it that way, it's like, why shouldn't this be a thing? As long as it's consensual, yeah. as long as it's between people who are mentally capable and stable, like you shouldn't like try to manipulate someone into a poly relationship if. And there's been times when I've met someone and I go, wow, felt super attracted to them and then found out, oh, they're in a monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I just step back say, okay, got to keep it platonic. <laughs> I can still enjoy the person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to become sexual. And I think that's one of the beauties of being polyamorous is that it gives me so many different options 
on who I can be sexual with. I don't have to be sexual with a particular person. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? It does, because I've heard of polyamory relationships where some people would have sex with one partner and then the other person, they just like cuddles. They're still mm-hmm. technically in a yeah. relationship with that person, but they don't actually have sex. Yeah. Or everybody has sex. Or they have sex in partners. Or I mean, they have groups. And then it's, some people really have cool. different sexual needs. And one of the things that's common in polyamory is you find a lot of asexual people that flock to polyamory because they realize that they are averse to sex. They don't want sex. But they don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily just attracted to people who are also asexual. A lot of them find attraction to people who are sexual people. And polyamory gives them the ability to be in relationships with people who are sexual and allow for that person to have a sexual outlet outside of the asexual person. Mm-hmm. And asexuals still need intimacy. There is a difference between intimacy and sex. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember I had a a friend once, and everybody thought we were boyfriends. Because we slept together naked, and we were very close and intimate. But neither of us was attracted to the other, sexually. I I mean, just the thought. He seemed more like a brother than the brother I never had. And I have seven brothers and sisters, but the kind of brother that we were just very close, and we became physically close. And yeah, there's times when we sleep together and in bed and just cuddle up, and we'd each get a heart on, but it wasn't from wanting sex, it was from the intimacy. And it was a different kind of erection. It wasn't like I wanted to get off sexually. I wanted that intimacy and closeness and nurturing. And that can be very powerful. And never once did either of us even think about having sex with the other. Early, well, I can't speak entirely for him. That's what he said. But that's definitely what I felt with him. Mm-hmm. There was just no sexual attraction for me to him. There was an intimate and brother attraction. And I looked at him as kind of a big brother. (laughs) That kind of big brother that would kind of protect me after school and take care of me and help me, mentor me. And and that was very powerful and very intimate and close. And at the time, I kind of thought about Native Americans, what I knew about them back then, and that whole blood brother ritual, and I thought, this is what I want with him to become his blood brother. Mm -hmm. I want to perform the blood brother ritual, and that's how intimate and close we were. So that can be a type of relationship that can be frowned upon, two grown men sleeping naked together. What's that all about? Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't ever sexual. It was just very intimate and it felt I loved to feel his naked body against me. Not in a sexual way, but in a very intimate and he had a very strong male energy. I felt protected and, and nurtured by his energy. 
I get where you're coming from because I still have self-esteem issues that I'm getting over, but for the most part, I'm okay with being naked in general, and I don't mind if somebody sees me. Do I want them to, like, take it as an advance? No. Mm -mm. What I'm saying is, I think it's okay to be naked. Being naked is natural, and I would, and I don't, I'm not naked in front of people because I know usually they take it the wrong way. They take it as some sort of advance, even though that's not what I'm going for, but I don't mind being naked in front of somebody I'm best friends with or something like that because I'm cool with that person. Yeah. That's that's just a short short version of it. I'm cool with that person. I'm not sexually attracted to that person. I'm just comfortable with them. And I think one of the things I have to say about that particular relationship with that boy was that I didn't expect to get near as much as I got out of the relationship when I first started it. But to be that intimate and close without sex was powerful in ways I can't put into words to this day. And that's so uncommon in our culture for adults to sleep naked together and never have or want sex. And that was empowering in a whole different dimension. It was very amazing to experience that. I felt very fortunate to have found someone like that, that that I could be that close and intimate with. It fulfilled a very deep, and it's almost a primal need in me, that's a non-sexual primal need, for that bonding and closeness. And it, you know, the word blood brother keeps coming back in my mind. I felt like we had exchanged something deeper than just a friendship. Soulmates? No, it wasn't soulmates. It was more of a of a bond of friendship that just went so deep that we could be intimate and and I've read about in sociology where, you know, there are tribes where everybody sleeps in one room naked. And you know, it's not about the sex, it's about the intimacy. And that's something that's so missing in our modern day American culture, is that we don't have an avenue to be that intimate without sex. One of the things that it makes me think of is there's uh, this concept of um, relationship anarchy, uh, which is this idea that every relationship you have with any individual is completely unique to that relationship and there are labels that people put on things in order to uh, help clarify this is my girlfriend this is my boyfriend this is my roommate this is you know what whatever and each of these uh, you know it it's putting helps people in, a way, in boxes but, but yeah it does completely like separate people in boxes mm-hmm. and my own experience with relationship anarchy i've got an ex-girlfriend i the way i describe her to people is that she is my ex-girlfriend but she is my current domestic life partner and mm-hmm. i i 
believe that we're going to to have that forever. Um, we cohabitate very well in so many ways. My relationship with her is stronger now than when we were dating. And when we were dating, it was extremely strong. You know, yeah. it wasn't the bond that I have with her. People will see us interact and they will completely misread it and completely misunderstand because, you know, they don't have the context of the years that we've known each other. Um, a lot of people think that she's mean to me. And I realize that she just has a dry sense of humor. And, like, one of the things that is interesting that both of us figured out independently was she's not really into BDSM. But we both realized that I had been her sub for years and didn't even know it. <laughs> this ends part one of Polyamory. Tune in next week for part two of Polyamory. I find it interesting that adults in our culture aren't provided with sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. But just like every other human endeavor, sex is something that we have to learn. It's not something that's instinctual. If we really want to go beyond just sticking it in, getting off, and going to sleep, nothing wrong with that. But there's so much more that we can experience if we have an adequate sexual education. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join me in a sex-positive lifestyle where you learn how to feel the beautiful creature that you are, how to identify and know that you're beautiful and sexy and gorgeous just as you are. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions that you may have for future show topics. There's no topic we won't cover. We would love to hear from you. If you have a topic you enjoy on this show or interested in learning more about sex, and would enjoy a more in-depth learning experience, check out Raven's Lair Adult Education Training Videos. They are at www.ravenslayerleather.com videos. Be sure to check out the free training offer and explore some of the topics we cover on the show in greater depth by obtaining Ravenslayer Sexual Education video training programs. Some of the training includes worksheets and erotic exercises that you can put into use to enjoy a liberating sex life. This concludes this edition 
of adult bedtime stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. Explore everything sexual. Good night and enjoy.